Good morning. It is really good to see you this morning. <clears throat> we are in a series that we're calling Uncommon. And today I want to share a message called Uncommon Endurance. And I want to start in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. The writer of Hebrews says this, therefore. I want you to pay attention to that word, therefore. That word, therefore, is there for therefore a reason. That's funny. I didn't even intend to do that. It's there for a reason. It points backwards. So in a minute, we're going to go backwards, but for now, let's just read it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The writer of Hebrews is comparing life to running a race. Running a race. And there's, it will surprise you at how much is in the scripture using the illustration of running a race. Now we, I, you know, um, I've, I've known this for a while, but I wasn't thinking of this uh, earlier this morning, but we have race running royalty actually in our midst. Bill Hager, Bill used to help put together what is now known as uh, the Marquette Marathon. He was the, one of the, 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 the team members that put that whole thing uh, together some some lot, it was a bunch of years ago, and uh, and Bill was he was quite the marathoner, and and he was he he was a good runner, and uh, and so you're like race royalty right here today on running. It just hit me, but the objective here in Hebrews chapter twelve is that we endure, that we don't quit, and that we, we don't give up. And, and, and just as we, as we think about what we're going through today in our society, as we think about what's, what we're going through in our world, uh, there are people that are in the, the, we'll just limit it to Silver Creek Church, okay? We'll just limit it to people that were in the first service this morning or the people that joined us through church online or those of us here in the second service. There are people that are struggling with the idea of giving up their faith. I've been listening. I, I'm a podcast listener. Um, my wife says I always have to have something on, and so I've learned that if I'm going to have something on, I better make sure that it's something that's benefiting me. Um, and I, I hadn't put this together, but um, have you heard the word deconstruction? Have you heard that relating to your, your faith? Brandon's given me the big, the big yes. He's nodding yes. He's a big podcast listener also. Deconstruction is really popular right now. It's people that were raised to believe the Bible, that were confessing Christians that are now deconstructing their faith. They are systematically going backwards and returning to a life that is without faith in Jesus Christ. They're deconstructing. 
Our culture, our society is filled with people that are on the brink of walking backwards on their faith. They want to give up. And what I want to do today is I want to look at four things that the writer of Hebrews tells us that will help us endure, that will help us make it to the finish. The first thing I want you to do is remember that you are not alone. He says that we're surrounded. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. That word therefore points to the previous chapter. And here's what he's saying. He said, you, you remember a guy named Abraham? Do you remember a guy named Isaac and another guy named Jacob, another guy named Joseph and Moses and Rahab and Gideon and Samson and Samuel and David? Do you remember all of these people? They have done things like shutting the mouths of lions. They have quenched the flames. They have routed armies, foreign armies. They've suffered torture. They've They've been jeered at, they've been flogged, they've been put in chains, they've been put in prison, they've been stoned, they've been cut in two, they've been killed by the sword, they've been persecuted, they've lived in caves, but they've been commended for not giving up. They didn't give up. They didn't give up their faith. They kept their faith until the end. I picture a grandstand in heaven. When I went to Africa, there was, in Cameroon, the city that we were in, Madison's hometown, there, well, not hometown, but the big town that, that he was in, there is one highway that goes through that, that community, one highway for a city of, of like three million people, one, one paved road. And, and it's really funny because when it goes by the government, the government buildings, it goes literally by parade stands. So that when the, 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 uh, the, the, the president, the, the appointed president, self-appointed president, when he, when he comes through, it, they, can, they can make it look, it's, it's, like a, it's like a parade whenever they want it to. The stands are just automatically built in there. It is, it is a parade route. I envision this parade, this stadium that is filled with the patriarchs of God. Those that have gone successfully on before us who have reached the finish line and they're cheering those that are running the race. They're cheering you and they're cheering me and they're saying, get, get going, don't give up. You're almost there, you're gonna make it. And they're encouraging us. I remember when I ran my first race, I had some friends that I'm not sure if they believed I would make it. They were supportive, they came and where do, where do they go? They go to the finish line. And they had signs. They took time to make signs. Run like you stole something was one of their signs. And, and I found that humorous. But they were there to support me. They were there to encourage me. And, and the finish line, Bill, the finish line, is it's, it's a lot of fun. The finish line is a great atmosphere and there's a lot of happiness and there's a lot of congratulations. But if you talk to any runner, they would give up the finish line for a good running buddy. Somebody that they can run with every day. 
You see, a running buddy is somebody that they're going to bring you a sweat towel and a bottle of water for after the run. That's a running buddy. A running buddy is someone that signs you up for a race without your knowledge and will expect you to be there on the day of the race. You will get a, a, a race packet in the mail and you will not realize where this thing came from and it's from your running buddy. On your birthday, you will get a gift and it will undoubtedly be either a gift certificate to the local running store or it will be like safety equipment to keep you alive while you're running in the early pre-dawn hours. That's a running buddy. A running buddy is someone who gets up at 5 a.m. day in and day out in order to run with you. A running buddy is someone that will spend four hours on a Saturday morning sweating with you when they could be doing anything else. They could sleep in, they could do their yard work, they could do anything, but they've chosen to be there with you. That is a running buddy. Now I want you to understand the saying, misery loves company, was written by a runner. It is the truth. Misery loves company, and running is a form of misery. And we love company. We love company. Hebrews compares life to running, to running a race. And there is an aspect of life that's like the finish line where it's a celebration, but there's a lot of days where it feels like suffering. Do you get what I'm saying? There's a lot of days where we are very in touch with the amount of suffering. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, because this suffering, when we suffer, in fact, even in a room like this, of, of this size, this, this many people right here, there could be someone <clears throat> right now that you feel completely alone. This morning in first service, there, there, there wasn't very many empty seats. And same thing, I said, I said, you can be in a room this size filled with people and yet feel alone, completely alone. Proverbs 18, 24 says that there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother talking about Jesus Christ himself, that he sticks closer than a brother to us. Jesus was accused of being a friend to sinners, to traitors, to the lowest of society. In Hebrews 13, God says, excuse me, God says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. God is not going to leave us. I want you to know something at 5 a.m. on a weekday when my alarm rings. Do you know what gets me out of bed? It's not the love of running. It's the fact that in 25 minutes after my alarm rings, there will be a tall shadowy figure standing in the dark on the corner in my neighborhood and he's waiting for me. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. Oh yeah, we texted the night before, little emojis and, you know, and gifts and stuff like that to make sure that somebody doesn't have something you know, conflicting with their schedule, but it's that person on that corner, it's that buddy, that's what gets me out of bed 
in the morning. And I don't think as people that we're all that different, it's the realization that someone else is there for us that gets us up every day. And I want you to understand, it's not just Jesus. We need Jesus. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Somebody said Jesus is a crutch. He's not a crutch, he's a gurney. We gotta be carried. But we need other people. We need other people. In fact, if you're doing Christianity all alone, you're doing it wrong. And you say, look around you. I'm not doing it wrong. I'm coming to a church service. Yeah, but what did I say a minute ago? There can be a group this big and someone is feeling totally alone. I, I go as far to say that the young people in our community over the winter, there's been at least four of them in our community that have taken their life, all felt alone. They felt like there was no one else. Even though most of them had loving parents and grandparents and teachers and friends and aunts and uncles, they felt alone. We are not alone. Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 9 says two are better than one. I want you to think about that for a moment. He goes on and says, One can be overpowered. One will be cold. One will fall down and he can't get up. But but the moment there's two, you're not going to be overpowered. The moment there's two, you're not going to be cold because you can huddle together for warmth. The moment there's two, if one of you falls, the other one can help him up. Two is better than one. I want you to remember that in this walk with Christ, you are not alone. Jesus designed us to do life together. We're not alone. And we need others to make it work. Secondly, I want you to remember to get rid of what slows you down. Proverbs, or excuse me, Hebrews 12, our text, he said, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so so easily entangles us. The Greek, this literally is referring to clothing. The clothing that they would wear during the first century was not like our clothing, okay? Nobody in the first century was, was um, these are not skinny jeans, but nobody was wearing skinny jeans, okay, in the first century. They were wearing the exact opposite of skinny jeans. They were wearing basically large pieces of cloth draped over their shoulders and tied with a rope, okay, that hung all the way down to the ground. And those things, what what Hebrews is saying, that it's impossible in something like that to run your fastest. And if you were going to be in a race, you would not wear something like that. And the author of Hebrews is saying, get rid of it, cast it off, lay it down, lay it aside, because it's only going to slow you down, and you need to get rid of it. Now, if you've ever watched Elite Runners, Bill, I I know you're going to be able to identify with this, but Elite Runners, man, the clothing that they wear... On race day, it's almost nothing. Truthfully, the the, the I, in fact they are so they're so comfortable and able to move so freely. They're so comfortable that I'm uncomfortable. 
because they have so little on, okay? Because they don't want it to hinder their step. They don't want it to hinder their stride. They don't want it to, to get in the way of their arms moving or their legs moving. They've decided that, that I need to make sure that I don't have anything that can slow me down. They, I, I've never thought about this, but, but just think of, of your shoelace. If you were starting a race and your shoe was untied, how disastrous that could be. I tie my shoes a special way on my running shoes so that they don't ever loosen up, let alone become untied. Why? Because you could trip and fall. You, you, you could get hurt. You certainly, it would affect your time. But Hebrews says that we need to throw aside anything that slows us down. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 Paul says, do you not know that in a race, all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Now, in running the Christian life, it's not about first place, okay? Because I want to I sort of make a joke here, but it's not, we don't want to get to death first, Okay? Because our prize as believers comes after life. It's not like in, in, in running an event where, where the person who has the best time wins. But we need to understand that we need to run it in such a way as to win. And the, the finish line for you and I as believers is heaven. So the question is, what slows down your progression as a follower of Christ? What is it? What attitude? What thought? What action? What, what thing that you're involved in is slowing down your growth, your progression, your race as a follower of Christ? And the, the scripture says, get rid of it. Because it's keeping you from your race. It is sin. And we need to get rid of those things. Friends, nothing is worth missing out on the prize. Number three, remember that your race is already marked out. In 1979, Rosie Ruiz, she was the winner of the New York City Marathon, the women's side of that event. And she qualified, because of that event, she qualified for the, the 1980 Boston Marathon. Now that's a big deal, okay? She runs the New York City Marathon, she wins, she qualifies for the Boston Marathon, and at the Boston Marathon, not only does she win, she sets a huge record in the Boston Marathon. And they found out that she only ran a half mile of the race. She cheated. They began to look into her and they found out that the New York City Marathon, where she qualified for the Boston, she, ran, she, she actually got on the subway for over half the race and was able to win because of that. She, she cheated. Back in the 90s, they came up with chips that they put at first on your shoes, and now when you get your race bib, on the backside of that race bib with your number is a little chip 
and they can make sure that you cross the start line and they can make sure you cross the finish line and what your time is. And I don't know if they have other little spots where they check you out also in the midst of that. It depends on the race. But the bottom line is this, that if you leave the race course, you are disqualified. You cannot make up your own race course. You can't say, but it would be a lot more pretty if I ran this route. You can't just say, I'm going to do this the way that I want to do it. Hebrews 12, let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Man, there are some amazing races right here in the UP. Do you know that you can go to Mackinac Island and you can run a half marathon on Mackinac Island? I mean, think of that. you got to ride the ferry just to get there in order to be able to run that that race. It's called the Great Turtle. What a beautiful run. You could run the Badwater 135 in Death Valley. It starts at the lowest point in the U.S. It is scorching hot to run that race. And you end on the way up to Mount Whitney. How about you think of Mount Everest, you think of climbing Mount Everest. There's a Mount Everest marathon that starts at base camp at Mount Everest. The, the rocks are so bad, it looks like you'd break an ankle in the first 50 yards, and yet they do a marathon. How about the Sahara Desert? It's a 150-mile race in Morocco in the desert. One question, why? Why would you do that? But every one of those races has a specific course. The director lays out the course, the runners run it. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians, I read it uh, in verse nine, chapter 9, verse 26, the first part, it says, therefore, I do not run like one running aimlessly. He knows where he's running. He's running the course that has been set out before him. Paul says, I don't want to be disqualified from my race. And every one of us, God has given us a different race to run. They're not all identical. Let me tell you about a missionary. His name is Victor Plymeyer. He was a missionary to China and Tibet. He served for 40 years, from 1908 to 1948. 40 years, and he had one person come to know Christ. One person. With the believers that were already there and this new convert, they were able to start a church. In 1927... His wife and his six-year-old son contracted smallpox and died. So about halfway through his time of serving, the local Chinese government took pity on him and they provided a very tiny little spot for him to bury his wife and his son. And he continued to serve for another 20 years. They gave him a deed to that little piece of property. After 40 years, he retired, went on to be with the Lord. And that little group of people that he left there, that little group of people grew and became a church that wanted to be recognized and not just have to meet behind closed doors. And the Chinese government said, nope, you can't do that. You have to own property. And it's against the law for the church to own property. And someone remembered 
wasn't there a little piece of property that was given to Victor Plymeyer? And they called his family. They said, do you still have that deed to that property? And the family went into Victor Plymeyer's things that were left. And they discovered that deed. And they sent that deed to China. And the church was able to be recognized by the government to exist in, in the public space. I'm sure Victor Plymeyer said many times, God, why am I running the race that I'm running? It's different than your race. It's different than my race. But God has a race for you to run. And we need to run that race. The Bible, you, you say, but mine is so hard. Scripture says that his grace is enough. It's sufficient to get you through, to get you to the finish line. We may not understand. Number four, we need to remember to look at the finish line. Hebrews chapter 12, what we read, fix, fixing our eyes on Jesus, verse two, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The way that we don't grow weary and we, can, and we don't lose heart is to look at the finish line. Bill, I don't know if you helped design it, but the end of the Marquette Marathon and Half Marathon is up 3rd Street. It is a half mile uphill. It is brutal because the first 10 miles from Nagani are downhill. It's awful. And you turn that corner onto 3rd Street and you're looking uphill and you see, you think you can see a finish line. And you keep running and your lungs are burning because it's harder than any other part of the race. And you get further and you see people walking on the sidewalk and you realize that they are family and friends of others who have finished the race and celebrated and are now going home. And you're still on your way up the hill. And then you start to hear the announcer muffled over the, the loudspeaker. You can hear it. You can start to hear the voices of people. And now you can see the finish line and you're pushing it. You're pushing it for all you can. My friends tell me that I, that's old man pride. I own it, baby, I own it. It's old man pride kicking in. And you hear as you cross the finish line and they say, an old man from Marquette, Michigan. <laughs> and they read your time off and they say your name. And you bend over like this because you can't breathe. And a, and a volunteer while you're bent over, it's a great time, they come up to you and put your medal around your neck. And you're excited because it's all been worth it. All that hard work has paid off. First Corinthians, again, chapter 9. It says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Friends, the winner in, in the first century, they would receive, it was, it was a wreath like out of plants, and it would be placed on their heads. And within hours, it would be wilted. And they did it that way on purpose. They didn't want the runner to become satisfied with that prize. 
They wanted it to wilt so that they would grow hungry for the next race. When, I, when we run a race, we get, we, you know, they, a lot of times they give you medals. It's, it's, it, it's really nice. I hang them you know, in my office. I call them my wind chimes. If there's a little breeze flowing, I'll hear them tinkle, and it's like, ah, yeah, the sound of victory. That's, it's not really victory. I just made it. That's it. You know, I just crossed the finish line. But we don't run for, for temporary medals. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is telling a story. And in that story, the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. We are running in order to hear the master's voice say, welcome home. You made it. You crossed the finish line. Well done. Come on in. That's why I'm running the race. I hope that's why you're running the race. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, the apostle Paul said, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. There is now in store for me the crown of righteousness. Not, not the crown that fades, not the crown that wilts, not the crown that will be burned up in fire, but the crown which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, not only to me, but also all those who have longed for his appearing. Friends, life is a struggle. Some of my running buddies and I ran the Big Bay Relay yesterday. And when I had this message planned out, I, I, none, of this, none of this was pre-planned, okay? I didn't say, ooh, this is, I'll, I'll preach this on this day because it's right after the Big Bay Relay. I didn't plan this. We ran the Big Bay Relay. And in the Big Bay Relay, you, won, you run 26.2 miles, but... You do basically a mile, one person does a mile, then the next person runs, and you, you hand off a baton, and, and so you run five individual links. It's a team of five people, and you run five different, basically one-mile stretches on the way to Big Bay. It literally is from Marquette to Big Bay. And you, we, 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 it was a lot of fun. It was great. There was 50 teams or so that ran it. It was, it was a lot of fun. And I ran the fifth leg, not because, like, I'm the fastest. I was not the fastest. But I ran the fifth leg. We looked at, okay, what do these legs look like? And I, and we, you know, I said, I'll run the fifth leg. <clears throat> and we're, we're coming into Big Bay. We're on the fifth leg. And I'm excited, Right? We're going to be done with this. And, and I'm running hard, and there, I've got somebody right in front of me, and I was able to pass somebody. There's nothing that's more exciting when you're running a race than being able to pass somebody. And I, and I passed this person, and we were coming to the gas station on the edge of town, and I thought that's where the end of the race was. See, every one of these, it tells you how far you got to go. And I didn't look on my fifth leg to see how far this particular leg was, Bill. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't look. And it was like a mile and a half instead of a mile. And I'm like, I get to the gas station, and they're going, keep going. Keep, I thought we were done. 
keep going. And he's pointing uphill into town. And I'm looking at every turn saying, dear Jesus, please let this be the spot. And then we get up in front of the church and they're working on the yard and they're saying, turn left and keep going. And I'm like, what? wait, we had to go to the park in the middle of downtown. And I had spent all my gas before the gas station because I thought that's where it was. I didn't have my eyes on the right finish line. We need to keep our eyes focused on the finish line and focused on Jesus so that we don't spend it all before we get to the end. I understand that it's a struggle. You want to quit. Paul said this in Philippians 3, and then I close. He said, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I want you to know you are not alone in this journey. You're not alone. You may feel alone, but you're not alone. That's why God puts us together in churches, so that we're not alone. You're not alone. We need to get rid of the things that slow us down. We need to run the race that's been marked out before us, and we need to keep our eyes on the finish line and keep our eyes on Jesus because one day we will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I realize that there might be some folks that are gathered here today that maybe just this, this, the effort of living the Christian life has been maybe overwhelming to them. And they just have been thinking, man, I just, I just can't do it anymore. I'm discouraged. I feel alone. I want to give up. I believe today that you want to encourage them. You want to, you want to give them a pair of arms to put around them so that they don't feel alone. Father, I just want to lift them up today. If that's you, just with every head bowed and every eye closed, you just feel, man, I, I just feel alone. I, I, I just feel like I want to give up. It's so hard. It's such a struggle. If that's you, just slip your hand up so that I can pray for you as we close. Yes. Anybody else? You can put it down. Yes, yes. Father, you see these hands that have been raised. People that are acknowledging that this walk of faith has been difficult for them. And they might feel alone, but your word has told us that we are not alone, that Jesus is with us, God, you're with us, and that we can be there for one another. And Father, I pray, forgive us as the church when we fail to be there for each other. And I pray that today, Lord, that you'll help us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Help us to be Jesus with skin on. To love our brothers and sisters in Christ. To encourage them. To build them up. To make them realize that we're not alone. 